0: podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the Golden Age of Radio.
1: I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out.
0: It's July 2020, and we're still in COVID 19 quarantine. So we join each other via Zoom to bring you another lockdown listener request. Our mysterious listener, Cindy, recommended The Deadly Hour from CBS Radio Mystery Theater because it's an episode she says that begs for discussion.
2: CBS Radio Mystery Theater was broadcast on CBS radio affiliates from 1974 to 1982. Created by Golden Age radio producer Hyman Brown, the series was part of a larger effort to reinvigorate the lost art of radio drama.
1: The Deadly Hour starred frequent CBS radio mystery theater player Norman Rose. His distinctive baritone led his colleagues to dub him the Voice of God. It proved a prophetic nickname because Rose was later cast as the Voice of God in Woody Allen's 1975 film Love and Death. A quarter of a century earlier, Rose was the voice of science fiction radio series Dimension X, serving as both announcer and narrator. If you don't recognize Rose from either of those roles, you might know him as the voice of Juan Valdez from the ubiquitous Columbia coffee commercials of the 1970s and
0: 80s. Today's story was written by former radio actor turned script writer Elspeth Eric. Her earliest recorded radio credit is a small role in Orson Welles 1939 Campbell Playhouse production of The Glass Key. From there, her radio career took off. She landed roles in Mr. District Attorney, the FBI in Peace and War, Murder at Midnight, and Inner Sanctum. Eric clearly enjoyed working with Hyman Brown, Inner Sanctum's producer, because she later wrote over 100 episodes of CBS Radio Mystery Theater and appeared as an actor in 13. Eric also wrote for television, including the soap opera Another World, but preferred radio because it meant less ulcers.
2: And now let's listen to The Deadly Hour from CBS Radio Mystery Theater, first aired February 9th, 1974. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're
1: alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices.
3: The CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... E.G. Marshall, welcome to the sounds of suspense, to the fear you can hear. Relax and listen to the strange tale of a strange man, though no more strange than anyone who has suffered what you might call a mutilation of the soul. And who of us has not, at one time or another, suffered such a mutilation? What means did we use to restore
4: ourselves?
3: How quickly did we recover? How well did we heal? The answers vary even as we vary. One man's answers are revealed, we trust, in the story which
5: follows.
6: I'm cold.
5: So am I. (gasps) The darkness I mind the most, not to be able to see you.
6: Oh, touch me.
5: That it help my God, where are you? Right
6: here. Right here. I can't find you. Keep keep talking. Keep talking. Right here. Here. I can't. Oh, Oh.
7: Oh.
6: here you are. Oh, darling, don't let go. Never. Never. Never.
3: (laughs) Our mystery drama, The Deadly Hour was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Elspeth Eric, and stars Norman Rose. It is sponsored in part by Anheuser-Busch Incorporated, brewers
5: of Budweiser. I'll be back shortly with Act One. In
7: 1919,
5: someone had a big idea. Let's help youth understand big business by starting them in small businesses of their own. And Junior Achievement was born... Each group elected a board of directors, chose a product, set up a production line, sold stock, and went into business. That year, 314 students made and sold products and learned the business of business. Today, Junior Achievement has grown to nearly 200,000 members. Junior Achievers are designing and marketing their own products and services from cutting boards to printing. They're organizing sales efforts, writing marketing plans, calculating profit and loss. Running these small businesses helps Junior Achievers understand how big business works. Support Junior Achievement, where youth learns the business of business.
4: Call your local Junior Achievement office. Hello. Hello, Mrs. Ken Driggs of Salt Lake City, Utah? Yes. Mrs. Driggs, my name is Ted Brown, and I'm calling for Campbell's Soup. And we're calling ladies in the Salt Lake City area asking if they'd like to sing the Campbell's Soup jingle.
7: (laughs) Come on, you're kidding.
4: No, honest, I'm not. And if you sing the Campbell's Soup jingle for me, why, I'd love to send you a case of Campbell's tomato soup.
7: All right, but if I sing it and you don't send it, I'll be awfully disappointed.
4: Well, you just sing it and you see. Okay. It
6: goes, mmm, good. Mmm, good. That's what Campbell's Soup's are. Mmm, good.
4: That was just marvelous, really. And we're going to send you a case of Campbell's Tomato Soup.
7: <laughs> are you kidding?
4: I'm not kidding. How cold does it get in Salt Lake City, by the way?
7: Below zero sometimes. But if you like skiing, you don't mind.
6: Uh-huh.
4: When it does get cold, good hot Campbell soup warms you up. Yeah, that's right. Now, you enjoy yourself, you hear? All right. Bye-bye. Bye. The preceding recorded message was selected from random phone calls.
3: A person who seems strange we call grotesque, incredible, not to be believed. We make a feeble effort to deny that he could exist. But he does exist. There he is before our eyes in all his strangeness. We do not believe in him because we do not know him. Because once we know, we will have to believe. And this can be a long and painful process. Listen now to the story of Martin Jerome. See if you can believe
8: it. Mr. Jerome, I only consented to see you because your letter sounded quite desperate. As a rule, I only see patients on referral. But your letter, may I read it to you? Perhaps it will help us to get started. Last night, I heard you being interviewed on a radio program. In the dark of my room, in the darkest hour of the night, I thought... Here is a man who can help me to solve the awful predicament in which I find myself. I enclose a stamped addressed envelope for your reply since I have no phone. I am counting on you. Sincerely, Martin C. Jerome. Well, Mr. Jerome, uh, the hour is passing and I don't want you to waste your money. Take your time. Take your time if you have difficulty in talking. I'll wait. Doctor, did you say something, Mr. Jerome? Doctor, you... Yes. You are the first person I have spoken to in 25 years. You said 25 years? Yes. I begin to understand your silence. Can you tell me what drove you into the silence i i married a woman yes the the most desirable woman in the world my helen my adored one i never thought that an insignificant man like myself could even aspire to possess such a woman and the day she said those words to me I could scarcely believe my ears.
6: You're a dear, Martin, and I'd love to marry you.
8: Helen, I I can't think why you'd want a man like me.
6: Because you're sweet. Let's get married right away. What about next week?
8: The world changed completely for me. Everything became important, immediate. The sun shone just to keep me warm, and the breeze blew to make me cool. Me, Martin Jerome... Me. I had been so, so blessed. Yes, it was a beautiful wedding. Helen had a great deal of money and I was fairly well off. Many people came to the church and even more to the reception. People of prominence. I knew them all. All but one. He was tall. Unusually tall. As I am, unusually short. He was handsome, as I am not. He was charming, self-assured, very much at his ease. All of which I have never been. You couldn't help noticing him. Helen, who's that very tall man talking to your mother? The pale man with the black mustache?
6: I have no notion, love. It's probably someone mother invited.
8: Good looking, isn't he? Mm,
6: Sort of. Come on. Time to cut the cake.
8: We sailed for Europe. My head was swimming with visions of the life I had embarked on. The good life, the beautiful life. One night, on the ship, we were at dinner. Helen, look over there. To your right, against the wall, sitting by himself. Isn't that the man who was at our wedding?
6: Five hundred people at our wedding, love.
8: He's getting up from the table. The tall man, black mustache. <laughs> your mother must have invited him, you said.
6: Well, then I guess She did.
8: After dinner, we danced for a while. Then Helen said she had a headache, but I should stay and enjoy myself. Well, I I tried, but I couldn't enjoy myself without her. I was too much in love for that. I watched the dancers for a while, drank a brandy. I managed to kill an hour, and then I went down to our stateroom. Helen wasn't there. When I stepped back out into the corridor, there she was. She was coming out of another stateroom about six doors from ours.
6: Darling!
8: You you weren't in our room. I didn't know what to think. You said that you had a headache.
6: I've been doing a little
8: detective work.
6: You were so anxious to know who the tall man was. Well, I found out. He's not precisely a friend. His mother came to the wedding and dragged him along. Helen,
8: you were in his stateroom.
6: Mm, I ran into him in the corridor and he said to come in for a nightcap. <sighs> Let's go to bed. Our stateroom is... Much nicer
8: than his, by the way. We went to Paris. And then because she loved to ski, we went to St. Moritz. She was very good on skis. Effortless as a bird flying. I watched and watched and never got tired of watching. And then, one day, there he was again. The tall man. I've
6: got to catch the ski toe. Wait for me. Helen.
8: Helen, he's here.
6: Who's here? The
8: man from the wedding. The man from the ship.
6: Oh, is he here? So
8: he is. Well, I'm off. Wait for me. After Saint Moritz, we came back to the city and moved into an apartment. I went to work. We made friends. Helen grew lovelier every day. And she was her loveliest the day she told me that we would have a child. Tell me about that. Well, Helen was very very light hearted, very casual about the prospect, but I I yes. How did you feel? Well, it's hard to tell you, Doctor. Oh, I know every man is is what? Excited? Happy? I don't know, but... I felt bowed down, Doctor. Actually crushed by my own good fortune. That a man like myself, so petty, so pitiable, should be given a child by a woman like Helen. Have you always thought of yourself as petty and pitiable? I have. Why? Because I am. Go on. I could scarcely concentrate on my work once I'd heard the good news. Helen was on my mind all the time. And one day I I suddenly couldn't bear being in the office, couldn't bear being anywhere except where she was. And I rushed home. I I suppose you know what I found. I think you'd best tell me. I I hurried to the bedroom looking for her. I burst through the door, and in the bed, our bed, there he was. The man from the letter From the wedding From the ship From the mosquito He He looked at me Standing in the doorway He said not a word But his red lips Smiled And then Well then the bathroom door opened And Helen took a step into the room Helen All scrubbed and fragrant She was wearing something pink I think it was made of lace And she Doctor she smiled too While I stood in the doorway, she smiled. And then she said, Well, love, now you know. And the world rocked, and I felt as though I had died. But I hadn't. I was still standing there. Doctor, I've never... I've never told what I just told you to anyone before. Not to anyone? It wasn't simply grief that I felt. It it was my pride that had been destroyed. My marriage to Helen had built up a sort of pride. I thought if she loves me, then I must be something. Oh, it is not a good thing, Doctor, to build your pride on what other people think of you. Or seem to think. No. No, it isn't. So I cleared out. That was 25 years ago. And I have not said a word to anyone. Until today. How have you lived? Well, I... I had a business. Import and export. I kept the business, but I dismissed my staff. I had the phone removed and made arrangements to conduct my affairs by mail. I took a one-room flat with a little kitchen, a bed, a chest of drawers, an easy chair with an ottoman. And to one side of the chair, my hi-fi stereo set and my records. To the other side, my books. After my work, I'd sit in my easy chair with my feet on the ottoman, listen to my records, and read. Only writers who are dead, however. I'd read till about ten o'clock, eat a little something, and go to bed. The next morning, go to work, work all day, and do the same thing all over again. No relaxation of any kind? No enjoyment? Well, vacation in the summer. I shut down the office for two weeks and take my vacation. Where do you go? I... I take a train, two trains, actually, and a bus... to a little town on the coast called Marsh Hills. You've probably never heard of it. I'm afraid I haven't. No one has. And There's no reason why anyone should. And you spend your two weeks in Marsh Hills? Oh, no. No, I-, I merely stable my horse there. You have a horse? About 15 miles from Marsh Hills, Doctor, close to the sea. There's a cave hollowed out over the rock by the waves... And when I get to Marsh Hills, I arrive every year on the same day. They, they have my horse ready for me, and I, I ride the 15 miles to the cave, and there I spend my vacation. In a cave? For two weeks, I walk. I canter my horse on the beach. I gather what edible herbs there are growing in the rocks. I I, I boil them They're very tasty, really And at the end of two weeks I return my horse to the stable And take my bus and the two trains back to the city And you've lived this way for 25 years Oh, yes But, uh, Doctor, last summer uh, Last summer, something happened I arrived in Marsh Hills, as always My horse was waiting for me, as always And we started off at a walk for the cave by the sea. There is always a certain excitement when I begin to smell the sea. And I know that soon I shall be out of sight and sound of any human being. There will be only the sea, sun, the wind, and my cave. It is the most thrilling moment of the year for me. I suppose it's the only one. Soon I will have my solitude. At last, I'm on the sand... My horse feels the excitement as I do. I feel him extend himself. And as we round the last bend in the shoreline, I see it. I see it, my cave, my refuge. But, but last summer, yes, I, I pulled my horse up at the entrance to the cave. I sat listening to the rhythms of the ocean. And then, all at once, (laughs) I heard a sound. A sound that I'd never heard before in that deserted spot. And the sound, Doctor, was coming from inside my cave. Never. Never had I felt such anger. I was faint with hatred. I dismounted and I crept to the side of the cave where I knew it sloped to the ground. Quietly climbed the roof. I found a tiny chink in the stone, no more than an eighth of an inch wide. I put my ear to it. Beneath me I heard laughter. Oh, laughter and tender words and all the sticky, silly sounds that lovers make.
5: <laughs> Are you my girl? Oh, so much, you girl. Ah, uh,
6: how much? This much. I can't hardly see how much is
5: this much. <laughs> it's
6: too dark in this place. Then come here. Oh, oh, darling. Love.
8: They were kissing They were using my sacred sanctuary For lovemaking. I almost fell from the roof of the cave I struggled to stay where I was And my feet dislodged a shower of stones What was that?
7: Sounds
5: like a rock slot
7: Yes,
6: some rocks in front of the entrance Lots of them
5: hey, uh, Maybe we'd better move them
6: Oh, we can still get out Let's
8: stay a little longer. I love this place. All right. I climbed down. My brain was on fire. My whole body was on fire. I had never felt such hatred as I felt then. Not since... Well, doctor, you know when, I told you. I took hold of a big boulder. Yes. Yes, these skinny arms went round it. This puny body pushed it pushed and shoved till it stood against the mouth of the cave, was tight against the mouth of the cave. I heard the voices of the lovers faint and from inside.
6: George, it's really dark, darker than before.
5: Aaron, there's, there's no light at all. I had sealed them in.
3: Is darkness. It is the state from which we emerge, and it is the condition to which we return. We come from the darkness of the womb, we leave for the darkness of the tomb. In between is light and life. I'll be back shortly with Act Two. <coughs>
4: research experts say you can't taste the difference between beers. Well, if they're right, then Anheuser-Busch wastes a barrel of time beechwood-aging Budweiser. Only they don't think so. Brewing beer right does make a difference, and they're betting a bundle that you can taste the difference in Bud. When it comes to brewing Budweiser, the Anheuser-Busch choice is to go all the way, because they still care about quality. If the Bud people have a choice between what some experts say and what beer drinkers say, well, you'd better believe they'll go with you, beer drinkers, every time. When you say Budweiser, you said it all. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis. I love
3: you.
5: I love you.
7: Love you. Love you. Love
4: you. Love you. (laughs) you. That's why Hallmark makes over a thousand different kinds of Valentines to get everybody's message across on Valentine's Day. I love you. Let Hallmark say you care enough to send the very best on Valentine's Day, Thursday, February 14th. That's Thursday the 14th.
3: Jerome, 50 years old, has not uttered a single word to a living soul in 25 years. But now in the office of an attentive psychiatrist, it seems the
8: dear man can't stop talking. After I had pushed and shoved the big rock into the entrance to the cave, doctor, I stood for a few seconds, panting from the exertion and oppressed by the silence. There was only the sound of the wind in the water. I thought of the lovers locked inside. What were they doing? What were they saying? I felt that I must hear their voices again, as though their words which had driven me near to madness were essential now to keep me sane. I scrambled back to the roof of the cave and put my ear once again to the narrow crack through which I could hear them.
6: George, there was a little light before, now there's none.
5: More rocks must have fallen.
6: I didn't hear them. I heard something that didn't sound like rocks falling. Oh,
5: come on, we, we've got to clear the entrance.
6: Come where? I don't know where the entrance is anymore. It's so dark. Well,
5: take my hand. I, I, I think I know which direction.
6: I can't even see your hand. Don't you have a match?
5: I I, I may have. Yeah, yeah, I, I have a few. Well, light one. Well, I, I will, I will.
6: Oh! Yeah went out. Linda,
5: don't panic don't panic
6: like another we've got to get out but of here
5: just don't panic
6: all right, now careful be careful I am, I am being
5: careful
6: oh, oh, darling huh now I found the one that went out right by my foot let me light it from yours yeah, good, good girl, good girl all right, George that, that, there's the entrance don't let your match go out don't you let yours hey, look, see just a whole bunch of stones come on, let's
5: start clearing them away Oh, both matches went out. That's all right. We, we know where we are. We're right by the entrance. Come on, let's get started. George. What, Dolly? We will get out, won't we? Of course, of course we'll get out. Now, keep working. Don't stop.
8: At my listening post atop the cave, I heard them so kindly toward each other, so reassuring... So united in their purpose I pressed my ear closer To the crack in the cave's roof I was frantic to hear every word
6: George It isn't getting any lighter Shouldn't it start to get lighter?
5: Yes, it should
6: Oh, why doesn't it? How should I know why?
5: I'm I'm sorry, darling Oh, that's all right Marion What, darling? We've cleared all the stones away
6: but there's no light.
5: No. None.
6: Why not? Why isn't there?
5: Be- because there's, there's something huge a, a, a big boulder, I, I think, up against the entrance. Oh, move it,
6: move it. I will. It, it's heavy. it, oh,
5: it must be huge.
6: Well, How I, did it get there? It
5: fell from someplace, Lord knows where.
6: Can't you move it? I'm trying. Let me help.
5: Put your shoulder up against it.
6: That's what I'm doing. Can't you see? No, I can't see. Do you think I could? Can you see? I'm, I'm sorry. Forgive me. All right. Let's
5: try together now. One, two, three.
7: Jump! Oh! I don't
6: think we moved in at all.
7: No, no,
5: not a centimeter.
6: Darling huh? You know what the trouble is huh? We're tired That's all Clearing away All the stones Just took our strength You have not to eat Since this morning We need to rest For a little while Then we'll be able To move it oh, You're probably right So let's Let's lie down Right here By the entrance So we know where we are First I want to Light a match Why do you want to do that
5: I want to look At your face Oh
6: Light This is the face I love This is the face I love It's dark again No matter When we wake up We'll find our way into the light Sleep now, my darling
8: The thought of them Lying there No, the vision of them For I could see them The image was so strong. The two of them pressed close, their arms entwined, their hands clasped. The two young bodies fitted so tightly together against the dark and the cold. The nameless memory crowded in on me. And I knew. I knew what it was I remembered and would not name. And it was... It was... Love. 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 Real love that I remember. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Don. For what? For, for crying like this. If there is anything to be sorry for, it's that it took you so long to cry. All I really know is that when that word came into my head... What word? The it word, the word, the word love. I shrank from it as though it was tainted, poison... Yes. And then? And then? Oh, then. Then, Doctor, I I climbed down, I got on my horse and rode back to Marsh Hills. I took the bus and the two trains back to the city. You what? I opened up my office. I took the dust covers off the furniture in my flat and I resumed my old routine. Didn't you... Didn't you ever think of, of them? I'd shut them out of my mind. Just as I'd shot them in the cave. You didn't worry about them or, or anything? Well, they had each other. Mr. Jerome, I have to tell you, I'm... I can't help being shocked. Forgive me. Go on. Well, after a while, the old feeling of loneliness came back. You see, I... I missed them. Missed them Yes, it may sound strange Indeed it does I began imagining What they might be saying To each other I couldn't know for sure Of course But I imagined I'm
6: cold uh, So am I I'm hungry I, I, I can't find you Keep talking Keep talking I'm here I'm here I, I can't oh, oh Oh There you are Oh, darling Don't let go Oh, Never
8: Never I invented their conversations, of course. But I was fairly sure my inventions were accurate, or or nearly so. You simply left them there Mm, for two weeks. And then I was suddenly seized with the desire to hear their voices once more, before, well, before they were silent forever. I closed the office, closed the flat, took the two trains and the bus to Marsh Hills. They were surprised at the stable to see me back again so soon, of course, but they saddled my horse and I set off for the cave. The old excitement came back when I started to smell the salt air. There was the familiar thrill which I had looked forward to each summer for 25 years till they had invaded my kingdom by the sea. Such a tiny kingdom, a cave no bigger than a tool shed, with no comforts, no conveniences... And they had taken it away from me. Ah, on the sand at last. We run the last bend. And I see it. My cave. My refuge. And even from a distance, I can see that the big boulder still stands wedged into the entrance. What did you do then, Mr. Jerome? I, uh... I dismounted... I climbed to the roof of the cave After all, I had made the long and rather arduous trip To hear their voices once more If I could I... I crouched down I put my ear to the narrow crack And were they still alive? Oh, yes Yes Weak, of course, but alive Oh, yes, they were still alive
6: Are you all right, George?
5: Yes. Are you?
6: I'm all right. If we only had something to eat. Anything.
5: (laughs) Don't think about it.
6: You think there's any use trying to move that big rock again?
5: No. I guess you're right. Well, we've got about a third of the energy we had to start with. We'd better save whatever we've got.
6: Save it for what, George? I don't know. I know. But when somebody finds us, it's possible, isn't it, for somebody to find us? Of
5: course. Oh, George, I'm thirsty. Can you find the place where that trickle of water runs down the side? I think so. Feel along the cave wall to your right. so so black in here. You, you should be there by now.
6: Like the match?
5: No, it's the only one we have.
6: George, wasn't there a sort of a, a ridge, a, an indentation where the water trickled down and some moss?
5: That's right.
6: And well, I... I think I found it. Oh, good. There's no water.
5: There must be. There
6: isn't. Then you're in the wrong place. Then you find it. You're so smart. I
5: know exactly where it's... About here, I remember this. It ought to be right here. Yes, I... it
6: ought to be, but it isn't. It ought to be, but it isn't. Marion, There's <laughs> No food. Now there's no water.
7: shh, <laughs> shh. Doctor,
8: I wanted to call to them. I wanted to say, wait for rain. Because as soon as a good rain came, the water would start to trickle down the cave wall again. Well, I couldn't speak. I don't know why I, I couldn't. Do you? I have some notion, yes. Why couldn't I? I'd rather you told me the rest of the story first. All, all right, Doctor, if you say so. Well, they must have gone to sleep after that. I think they probably slept a lot. I know that I didn't hear anything more after that until much later.
6: I wonder what day it is.
5: Well, it was Saturday when we came down here, wasn't
6: it? Yes.
5: Well, it must be... Uh, I, don't, I, I, I don't know.
6: We've been here a week, I think. Uh, more than that. Much more?
5: About a week and a half.
6: Oh. You think it's Wednesday? Well, uh,
5: I... Yeah, I, 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 I think so.
6: If it's Wednesday, then we've been here... Eleven days.
5: Something like that. What difference does it make?
6: I'd just like to know that's all. Oh, don't be angry, Darling.
8: Doctor, I had the craziest impulse to whisper to them. It's Tuesday. I almost laughed. Why do these ludicrous ideas come into our heads at the weirdest moments of our lives? Perhaps it wasn't as ludicrous as you thought. Of course it was. I was there to watch these people die. Listen to them die is more like it. And I still wanted to tell them what day of the week it was. If that's not ludicrous, I don't know what is. Tell me, what happened next? I went to sleep on the roof of the cave. After the sun came up in the morning, I got a sandwich out of my saddlebag and a flask of brandy and sat on the sand for a while, watching the ocean. And then I went back to my listening post. George. Yes?
6: I'm going to try walking around a little.
8: Oh, Lord.
6: This darkness is driving me mad.
5: No, it's not. No, it's not. Let me have a match. No.
6: Oh, give it to me. I won't. What was that? I heard something. I stumbled over something. Well, look, look look, for it. The fish That's are. That's what off. I'm doing. Got it. Well, what is it? Uh, feels like a little sort of a, a pan. Pan? It, well, about four five inches wide. Huh? Enamel, I think. Feels like enamel. It's a little pan to cook things in, the sort of thing campers might use. Wait, wait, that, that, that means somebody's been here before. And that means whoever was here could come back.
5: Or somebody else could. I i, I mean, this cave is a place people come to. We're, we're not the only ones. We're not the first. Other people have...
8: They'd stumbled across the little enamel pan I had used to boil my herbs in I couldn't bring myself to speak to them, but I took a packet of matches, the cardboard kind, and I wrote on it, I am here. Just that. I am here. And and I slipped it through the crack in the roof of the cave.
3: three little words. I am here. I suppose the most cherished trio of words in our language consists of I love you. But surely there are times of trouble when I am here is even more welcome. I'll be back shortly with Act Three.
7: And now another
3: tale of the ball and chain. Act Kellogg's special case presents Defense, Last Tango in
4: Pittsburgh.
7: It's all right, tango.
4: My little orchid, will you tango with me? It was wrong. Mm, you're a splendid dancer. Thank you. But what was that?
6: I was what?
4: That sound effect.
6: Oh, I'm a few pounds overweight, and this ball and chain points out how my extra weight can get in the way. I'm
4: pointing you back to your chair. Our heroine decided
3: to lose that extra weight. She exercised and ate smart at every meal, starting with a special K breakfast:
4: a bowl of special K skim milk, tomato juice, and coffee. It's less than 240 calories,
3: 99 percent fat-free, and 100 percent delicious. After a while, she was rid of the ball and chain and back at Rose.
8: Darling, you're looking fantastic. What a
6: happy ending.
8: What the ending. We're just getting started. Well,
7: hmm? Get lost. Lord.
8: Your happy ending could begin
4: with the Kellogg's Special K Breakfast. And that's another
7: tale of the ball and chain. <laughs> Give your hand to a friend. Give your heart to your love. Give your <laughs> contact,
6: the sooner the better.
3: Hey, I'm back. How's that cold?
6: Rotten. Get the contact? I got everything. Contact, cold tablets, in this liquid. Oh, no. Honey, it's all cold medicine. Well, sure, but it only takes one contact for up to 12 hours. Continuous relief from sneezing, drips, congestion. For that, I'd need six of your cold tablets. Two every four hours. Or three ounces of nighttime liquid.
3: One every four
6: hours. Or just one contact. The tiny dye pills do it.
8: Well, it's all cold medicine.
6: Those others contain antipyretic analgesics, the liquid, antitussive, and alcohol. They're not in contact.
8: Six or three
4: or one. I choose the one contact.
6: Me too. And i will the one with the cold.
5: Six or three or one. When you catch a cold, take contact. Only as directed.
3: It is the disease of not listening, the malady of not marking, that I am troubled with all. So said Henry IV, according to William Shakespeare. But the disease that troubles Martin Jerome is listening too closely. And his malady is marking too well.
8: Pushed the packet of matches with its absurd message down through the crack in the cave with a little stick. I heard it drop. I knew it had reached them even before I heard Marion speak.
6: George,
5: huh?
6: something just dropped onto my shoulder. George, light the match.
5: Marion, it's our last match. I don't
6: care, light it. I have to know what fell on my shoulder. I I, I don't like to use George, up our George, la- please, if you don't, all, all right, all, all, all right, take it, take
5: it easy. Do you see anything?
6: It hit my shoulder, and then it—here it is. George! Well, it's matches. It's a whole fold of matches. You're kidding? I'm not. There's something written on it here, Joe. Wait a minute. It says, "I am here."
5: Who? Who, who is? Who's here?
6: I don't know. I, I, I.
5: Oh my God! That's the end of the match. I held it till I burned my fingers. I'm sorry. I couldn't. It's all right. All right. We
6: have matches now. Can you see? Well,
5: it, it, it isn't signed at all. It just no. says I am here. that's all.
6: But who? Who who's here?
5: Doesn't matter, does it? Somebody's here. That, 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 that's what counts.
6: So why did not he say something? Call out to us or something. Tell us that everything will be all right. Maybe. Maybe he's going for help. Oh, yes, that must be.
5: Yes. That, that that is it, it it's, it's all right now. It, it's all right, as, as long as somebody's here. I
8: couldn't stand their joy over my simple-minded message. They seemed like silly children, as silly as I felt myself. For I hadn't the faintest notion of what I was going to do once I had made this strange contact with them. I climbed down and sat on the beach staring at the water until I fell asleep. I must have slept the rest of that day and all night because it was the sun coming up behind the horizon that woke me. I went back to the cave, climbed to the roof, and put my ear to the crack.
6: George, I can't stand it. Where is he?
5: How should I know? Stop asking me. He wouldn't
6: give us a message like that. He wouldn't write. I'm here on a package of matches and then just go away, would he?
5: How do I know? You keep asking me as though I had an answer.
6: I'm not hungry anymore
5: I haven't been hungry for a long time I just feel terribly weak Damn it, I know, I know Now will you shut up? Just shut up
6: We'll die here, George Be quiet No water No food Oh, we'll die here. I said shut up. Whoever wrote that note must have been a madman. Whoever he was, wherever he was, he's gone away. Yes. Yeah. And we'll die in this cave.
5: I don't intend to die in this cave.
6: Oh no. And just what do you think you'll do about it? Something. N- nothing you can do.
5: I'm just not going to die.
6: Yes. Not yet. Yes, you are Make up your mind to it What are you doing now?
5: I'm going to light a match
6: Matches? (laughs) We have matches No food, no water Just Matches George
5: I'm not going to die Not yet Not me
8: Not me. I felt as though the world had stopped. Actually, I had stopped. All at once, I knew what I must do. Must do. I didn't want to go completely out of my mind. I clambered down from the roof. I ran to the cave entrance. I tried to move the big boulder that blocked it. I knew even before I tried that I wouldn't be able to do it. But my mind was working brilliantly. I ran to where my horse's saddle and bridle lay on the sand. And after taking it all apart, I began working to put it together again for a new purpose. Oh, I used everything. The girth, the reins, the stirrup leathers. And in an hour, I had fashioned a crude device. I led my horse to the cave entrance. Somehow, I wrapped the girth around the boulder and made it firm. The reins circled my horse's shoulders. And then I stood back and gave him a sharp rap on the flank. He moved. And the boulder moved. The boulder moved away from the entrance to the cave. There was room for me to squeeze through. Just inside, I found them. She lay there in a faint. He lay across her. And his teeth... His teeth were sunk in her breast. <laughs> Mr. Jerome, <laughs> would you like to wait till another time to tell me? Them? No, no, no. I, I must. I must tell it to you now. I, I I carried their bodies out, and I put them on the back of my horse. I I threw a halter over his head and led him the 15 miles to Marsh Hills. It took all day because I stopped every hour to be sure that they were both breathing. There's a doctor in Marsh Hills, and I I left them on his doorstep. I I rang his bell and fled. The next day, I waited outside the doctor's house until I saw an ambulance drive up and take the young couple away. They were able to walk, so I I knew they were all right, or or soon would be. I, I went back to the city... But not before I had memorized the name of the hospital, which was printed on the ambulance. And from the city, I wrote to the hospital. I, I pretended to be a concerned relative. They answered me. They said that the girl, Marion, had already been discharged, but that they were keeping the young man for a few days more. They would let me know when he could go home. And they did let me know. I remember it was uh, it was on a Sunday. And as he walked out of the hospital, I was waiting for him. He didn't seem at all surprised to see me. I I, I took his hand. He came with me quietly. Uh, We boarded the bus. We took the two trains, no trouble at all. And when we got to the city, we, um... We uh, went to my flat. Uh, He undressed. bathed and... got into my bed. And... And he went to sleep. (sighs) That was, uh... Oh, six months ago, Doctor. And he's been there with me ever since. He's... he's all right. Oh, he's very well. Uh, I sleep on the floor now. Uh, he sleeps in the bed. I cook his breakfast, come home from the office and cook his lunch. And, of course, I-, I make dinner for us both at night. And, uh... Oh, we listen to music. I read a book, but he... Well, he... Um, just listens to the music. Oh, yes, yes, he's in in good health. Mr. Jerome, the hour is up. You want me to leave? Not quite yet. You've told me an amazing story. As amazing a story as I've ever heard. But tell me, just what is it you expect of me? What do you want me to do for you? Huh? Oh, why, why, nothing, doctor. Nothing? Nothing at all. I I don't want help for myself, Doctor. I, I want help for the young man. You see, in the six months he's been staying with me, he hasn't uttered a word. Not one word.
3: Go see the doctor, young man. Yes, George. He can help you to unburden yourself. He will make the words pour out in full confession and you will feel the better for it. Why, look. Look what he has just done for Martin Jerome. As the deadly hour passed. I'll be back shortly. Young I may be, but still I'm a man. Just turned 18 and I'll do what I can just to find.
5: new Navy. You'll get your chance at success, learn an exciting job, and see the world. Call toll-free 800-841-8000. That's 800-841-8000. Or see your Navy recruiter. Be someone special in a new Navy. I-
3: heard of the seven wonders of the world? The Grand Canyon, the Taj Mahal, Niagara Falls, uh, and I forget the other four. No matter. Because they are simple things compared to the human mind in all its deviousness, all its twists and drifts. I could sit in wonder at the human mind for the rest of my life. Our cast included Norman Rose, Marion Seldes, John Baragray, and Jack Grimes. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by the Kellogg Company, makers of Kellogg's Special K cereal. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant
8: dreams...
0: That was The Deadly Hour from CBS Radio Mystery Theater here on the mysterious old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was a listener request that came to us from Cindy, who recommended that we listen to it on the basis that it begs for discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. That's all I needed to say, yes, let's listen to that. For those that haven't listened to all of these or perhaps listen out of order, let me just restate, CBS Radio Mystery Theater was where I cut my teeth. I have a very soft spot in my heart for CBS Radio Mystery Theater. And through the course of the years of doing this podcast, it has become evident that it wasn't as great as I thought it was. Uh, <laughs> your childhood heroes failing you has always been tough. And this has been a tough road for me with CBS Radio Mystery Theater. That's where I stand previously to listening to this, but I always love a listener recommendation because it gives me another opportunity to give them yet another chance to reclaim me as one of their warriors. I
1: don't know. CBS what? Radio Mystery Theater Warriors. Yeah, it Ooh. doesn't sound very impressive.
0: <laughs> no, but it is the new name of my softball team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now let's start the discussion of this particular episode. Tim, what did you think?
2: When I fired up the "Make This Thing Play" machine that I listened to on, and sat down, I realized like I'm so excited to hear this episode. I'm just comfy and warm to hear E.G. Marshall's voice saying nice, poetic things. Not nice; they're awful, but they're poetic. And <laughs> like I just realized, I'm a sucker for this right now. I, I've took your spot as yeah, sitting in your cozy. CBS Radio Mystery Theater chair and did I just I
0: enjoyed it soup to nuts beginning to end there is something about EG's voice that creaking door the narrative that is written for him and here's always a plus for me any CBS RMT that includes the commercials yes <laughs> yes Because now I'm really in the back of the Buick in 1975 (laughs) as a young (laughs) child driving somewhere that I don't know where we're going late at night.
2: These commercials matching with this story were particularly, (laughs) (laughs) Ah, wasn't it jarring? Budweiser, Junior Achievement.
1: <laughs> I love the Junior Achievement because it felt like someone from Junior Achievement wrote some of the commercials. <laughs> like it was his, his first gig as a 12-year-old member of Junior Achievement.
0: Sometimes I listen to CBS RMT just to hear it like a baseball game, not to actually listen to it because the sound no. of it is so amazing and fills my head with memories. Joshua, You don't have all those memories of CBS RMT, and you have been frequently a critic of the 30-minute shows that they stretch into an hour. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) How How did you land on this? I
1: think this one uses its format quite well. And to jump back to the commercials, one thing I like about listening to episodes with commercials in is that it really delineates the three acts and you begin to understand the structure underlying the 45-minute script, if there is indeed a structure. (laughs) Sometimes it underscores uh, that it's very meandering and repetitive. However, I feel there was enough crazy, perplexing variety of ideas to more than last the 45 minutes, because you are, after 45 minutes, still left with a lot of questions. <laughs> that yeah. you you are sent out into the old time radio wilderness to figure
2: out yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that was like my singular thing I liked best about this was it both captured the essence of really old fashioned Edgar Allan Poe style of story with really modern psychological. Level. Is anything in this story reliable as to being true?
0: So I love the show, and I want to say, Cindy, thank you so much for reestablishing my faith in the show because I found that episode gorgeous. I loved it. I love the mechanism of being in the office with the doctor to retell the story. I love the performances and I love the story. Being so devastated that he doesn't speak for 25 years and gives you a real sense and empathy for how broken he was. And you want him to have revenge. So let
1: me ask you a question. Did you interpret that the couple in the cave is his wife and her lover?
7: Yeah. Because they oh, have wow.
1: totally different names. His wife is Helen and she's Marianne. And the gentleman in there is George. Although they never named the tall, handsome, charming man with a mustache.
0: So we <laughs> have an awesome choice right now. We can either do an edit in this podcast or we, can, <laughs> or we can discuss the fact that I thought it was them. I think we should roll with it. Okay. Let's roll with it because what? What?
1: Well, his reaction is a vengeful reaction. He is projecting his feelings toward his wife and his wife's lover onto those two people. So I think it's legit on a first listen, think it's them because he treats them as if it's them. Emotionally, he treats them that way.
0: Well, it certainly makes a lot more sense that they just didn't randomly find this cave and it happened to be his cave.
1: (laughs) But partly it's because he's such an unreliable seeming narrator and his story has an almost dark fairy tale quality to it. So it seems fitting that they would just show up there to bedevil him. Uh, But I think it's clearly another couple.
0: No, no, I'm not arguing it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be honest. I feel kind of stupid right now because I went, oh, now they're in the cave, those two. And I never stopped to listen to their names.
1: Don't feel stupid. I thought so on my first partial listen. And I had to halfway through back up to see if I heard their names or not.
0: But that's because he acts
1: so angry. I jumped to your same conclusion, but then heard them be given different names.
0: That changes everything. (laughs) I know. You realize that right now On this podcast live People are listening to this And they're listening to me go Wait, what? This is a whole different story now
2: It's darker Yeah, it's darker He's trying to listen in On the intimate details of the love Between these two total strangers If yeah. that's indeed what happened Holy
7: crap
1: <laughs> That's why the shrink is so shocked When he casually mentions And then I went back to my regular life <laughs> And left these two strangers sealed in a cave.
0: So imagine now that I'm thinking all the way up until, I don't know, 40 seconds ago. I'm thinking, so he befriends the the guy that his wife had an affair with. Mm -hmm. He moves in with him and takes care of him for the rest of his life.
2: That's as crazy as any other interpretation, I think. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think
0: my story's better.
1: Let's back up because there are many different ways to interpret the story itself. Do we start from the fact that we think the story is just Martin giving his tumultuous emotions some kind of narrative to express how he has healed, as E.G. Marshall calls his wounded soul or something. He has a really strong phrase at the beginning. We've all had this destructive thing done. Mutilation soul of the soul. <laughs> yeah, mutilation of the soul. So is this all him working out his feelings through a made up story, or did this all actually happen? And what I think is great about the story is it works both ways.
2: Yeah. By the end, I had no idea if he actually did marry this woman who had this paramour and that he didn't speak for 25 years and then had this cave. Or was he in fact, the guy who was trapped in a cave with his wife that he started to eat her. I I think that's a legit interpretation. Which character he is, if there are more than one character, is the story real at
0: all? Um, hold on a second, guys. I'm gonna, These are my notes, and I'm just going to throw these away. Because,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: because I didn't catch any kind of nuances like that. It's because the ending is so ridiculous yep. that he would take this guy in and that he
2: also, by coincidence, would completely stop speaking that you question everything that's said.
0: Well, I'll say this, Tim, I did write down, you met the guy coming out of the hospital and neither of you spoke a word and somehow came to agreement that he would live with you and you take care of him because he states at the beginning that he he hasn't spoken to anybody until this moment which means that he could not have spoken to that guy that he met at the hospital, which means that those two didn't speak to each other yet figured out how to become roommates, which to me is a flaw in the story. Like, ah, what, what's going on here. But now as Tim's putting it, I think he's right. I think it's fight club. I think he is that guy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. For me, the most enjoyable way to look at this is that this is a story that Martin has hung over his emotional damage. And I interpret it as the wedding to Helen being the real thing. And that's what caused the damage and everything else after that is his way of seeking help.
0: You're saying that you think... He did get actually married.
1: I do think so. But what I love about this story is it's endlessly interpretable. I interpret it as Martin's story is about that tyranny of the insecure and the needy. He says over and over again that he doesn't see himself as desirable in the eyes of Helen. And so he might even have imagined this love affair. I don't totally even believe that much because it's this man who happens to be everything. He's not literally tall as I am not handsome as I am not clever as I am not. If that again feels like fairy tale language, it's so heightened. Um, and that
2: scene of, well, I guess now, you know, and they're all laughing at him seems again, like that's ridiculous and weird. And it Mm -hmm. seems unrealistically skewed through his perception, if it happened at all. And did you imagine her coming out of the
1: bathroom hugely pregnant? Because (laughs) in the scene beforehand, uh, they're going to have a baby. And that also just disappears. And I I don't think that's just
2: the writer forgot about I Yeah, did imagine a little baby with a mustache.
0: (laughs) He never mentions that he has a kid somewhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Again, I just miss so much stuff. Yeah. It's
2: deliberately doing a lot of sleight of hand.
1: Well, it, there's that self-fulfilling prophecy when someone is so insecure. And that's what I felt this whole affair thing was. Whether it was imagined or if it really happened, there comes that point where you are so needy and all your self-worth is drawn from another person until they finally don't have any more to give you because this guy Martin's always going to see himself as pitiable and puny and pathetic until it actually comes true because he can bring nothing to this relationship. And that's that really interesting full circle where suddenly there is someone more broken by love, more pitiable that draws him out of this kind of emotional stagnation he's in. So now he can speak and be the person that gives this other man self-worth. And sort of repeating this kind of sick, twisted relationship. What do
2: you think of the take that this couple trapped in the cave might be his projection of getting a more realistic view of what his own marriage was because it's interesting that he doesn't see them at all for weeks um, but is still just sort of letting them seep into his mind through this little crack in the rock that he's listening to and he
1: goes back because he has to hear more of what they have to say Um, it's almost like as he goes away he can't imagine their voices anymore he has to hear it yeah no I think that is a legit reading of it and he's horrified by their love he's repulsed by it but he wants (laughs) he wants to come back and experience it's kind of like that idea when you're starved and food is both like i have to eat more food but then it also makes me sick because i haven't had any (laughs) and they literally reach
2: that point of i'm no longer hungry
1: but then it is pretty ghoulish and shocking when he turns around and attacks her and just bites into her in this act of savage cannibalism
0: i wrote down out of all the things he could have bit into first (laughs) why would you start there you should Start with the leg, start with the arm, going like, there's no meat there. What are you doing? I, and now that we're having this discussion, I'm realizing that's probably a metaphor again. That's probably <laughs> some kind of thing that isn't a thing. And so now I'm not in this discussion because none of it, anything. By it funny these- coincidence...
2: I just watched a video about cannibalism. A cannibalism tutorial? (laughs) No, not specifically. It was about expert survivalists examining different movies and how they depicted extreme situations. And he was talking about the movie uh, live and said, like, God forbid anyone should have to eat anybody, but if
0: you do, eat the butt. (laughs) Also my improv group name.
1: (laughs) Or it could be another sports team that is uh, playing against the CBS radio mystery theater warriors.
0: (laughs) Hanging on, eat the butt.
1: (laughs) The inner sanctum, eat the butts.
0: (laughs) I know the guys in my life that would actually name their softball team, eat the butts. All right. So I am pretty quiet right now because I just don't know what to think. None of this was obvious to me. I was listening to a straightforward story. I was taking it for face value. This all happened. And this guy, as I mentioned, I thought it was the wife and lover. So he got his chance at revenge and took it. And then weirdly ends up taking care of the guy and gets his ultimate revenge because he doesn't speak for 25 years either. So- Now I'm going to jump on board with you guys. That doctor wasn't actually there. There's no (laughs) doctor. That show didn't actually air on CBS Radio Mystery Theater. That was all in his head. The entire thing was in his head. He's actually a donkey in Peru having these thoughts. With Juan Valdez. (laughs) Right, with Juan Valdez. I don't know what to say. I am so confused now so say i this.
1: still think it works as a literal story and the fact that it doesn't always make real world logical sense it keeps making thematic sense it, it has that kafka quality where it feels both like something you might experience in real life and also in a dream and blurs those lines i really love the moment when he drops the matchbook in with the I am here. It's a great example of what I I was just trying to describe, uh, but I can put it in more concrete terms because it literally works in this real-world physical way that when the couple sees that, their hopes are raised, they are excited, and then when nothing happens, it dashes their hopes and leads to the terrible moment when the boyfriend or husband or whoever it is is turns on her (laughs) decides to cannibalize her but also it's this great metaphorical thing where he wants to speak and can't and it's this sort of first opening up by literally just saying I'm here I'm present and that's the most I can be that's the tiniest step out of my world of isolation is to just merely let you know I am here
0: I took that I am here line back when I thought the show was something else (laughs) I took it as since his divorce and his wife and probably everybody in his life have made him feel invisible and now made himself invisible to the world by not speaking. And this feeling of invisibility is something that people feel unrecognized or no one is paying attention to them or not being seen, Mm -hmm. not literally, but just not feeling like anybody cares. And so I thought It was brilliant that he wrote, I am here, is this idea of reaching out of, I am somebody. I am here. I exist. Mm -hmm. Someone please notice me and give me credit for being of value. That's a strong
2: interpretation, especially Mm -hmm. because he writes it on a matchbook of like, they are literally blind, and he's literally going to give them the capacity to see. Mm -hmm. And even if they aren't specifically his wife and her paramour, he's obviously projecting that on whoever's down there.
1: And earlier, the woman actually says, once they realize they've been uh, shut in and they're still very much in love and they're saying, I just want to look at your face. And she actually says, uh, you know, tomorrow we'll find our way toward the light. So, yeah, again, I think that works very well, metaphorically, as well as, again, literally, (laughs) they're in a cave and it's dark.
0: Yeah, that's another level I didn't think about. Thanks, Tim.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's so many great little moments, too, when he goes home every night. He arranges somehow to work via the mail, which I would love to just do my job via (laughs) snail mail. And then he sits at night in an easy chair with books on one side and his hi-fi set on the other, listening to music and reading books by dead authors, which I think is fun to point out that he's dead as well. And he only reads dead authors. But my immediate response was, that sounds awesome.
0: (laughs) My immediate response was not only that, does that sound awesome? But I also said, we call that COVID. (laughs) Cause that's really been the last four months of my life is sitting in my chair with everything and reaching on, well, I can't go anywhere and listening to music and read. Well, I wasn't reading, but looking at a screen, It's so funny how I came into this going, I love this. And now I'm like, I don't know what I was listening to. And now as this discussion goes on, I'm at a point where I'm saying, I love it even more. (laughs) I loved it coming in and I didn't hear the right show.
2: Well, like I said, it it was joyful to me in both of its sort of classic structure of put it to Edgar Allan Poe of this guy bent on revenge and driven to the point of madness and then takes that revenge completely out of context and the the more modern ambiguity, like a classic sort of 70s sci-fi. I, I'm just talking now. but um, <laughs> So by the end, I have no idea what actually happened. But it's great fun to go back and try to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: And before we vote, I want to bring up one thing that I found really fascinating about it. He feels he was never worthy of her love, but he paints her as someone who has everything. She's not marrying him for money by any means, because he says uh, she's wealthy and knows all these fabulous people, but still she's chosen me. He says when comparing himself with the mustached man, you know, he's not tall, he's not handsome, he's not clever. Again, he's an unreliable narrator, so he may be being very harsh on himself. So if she married him, the only reason is that she legitimately valued him and he could not see that. That's what makes me question even whether the affair he witnessed was real or not. He just so believed he was unworthy of this love, he had to find a way to end it. Because it's such a weird jarring scene to go from the discovery of your pregnant wife to the discovery of her with this lover who shows up everywhere. Well that's obviously
2: uh, the the small little scene when she comes out of his stateroom was really jarring in that way of her response was in no way, I was just up to something and I'm covering for it. It was either perfectly I have no conscience and I'll just lie to your face, which doesn't seem in her character, or he's just hyperreacting to what is, like, yeah, I'm whatever the excuse, I don't even remember what she said she was doing in his stateroom, but the disconnect between how suspicious it looked and how she behaved was jarring.
0: Yeah, and now that I'm thinking about that, I'm actually leaning in Tim's way. I don't think any of this is real.
2: I I don't know why I take responsibility. I'm just, I have doubts. Uh, I feel uncertain about any particular thing. Not necessarily that I'm 100% certain this is not real.
0: But he is unreliable as a narrator, and so you can't take anything for face value. And again, I do think through this discussion, I am even more convinced now that the words I am here are the key to the author's intent.
1: And then it seems like Martin can't come fully back into this world in the presence of a love he felt he lost or never had because he cannot speak until he well, he can't even act besides the matchbook drop, uh, until George, I think was the man's name, attacks the woman. Then suddenly, when their love is clearly dead, that love that attracted but felt poisonous to him, then he acts and frees them from the cave. I think in that act, George becomes worse than Martin in his mind. It becomes more petty, more pitiable. All the words Martin used to describe himself, George becomes that, and it actually brings Martin fully to life. Yeah there's even a question to me whether there's a relational thing going on between that uh, seemed Martin a little at the end in the air he's so cagey about the description and then I took him back to his house he undressed and bathed and climbed into my bed oh I sleep on the floor right <laughs>
0: When he started to get undressed and get in his bed, I went, whoa, 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 where are we going? Where are we going? What is happening? Which would be fine had you had handed this to me and said, someone wrote this in the last 10 years. But when I realized this is from 1974 or whatever, like, oh, they weren't going there.
1: But maybe they are too. So that's a whole nother interpretation of this. There's Um,
0: a
2: thematic connection between how much in his marriage he... Isolated himself and dropped a boulder in front of himself, as it were, to keep himself isolated. And then literally did it to and then George and see, and like over and over again, just disengages and can't do anything until this guy <laughs> turns attempted cannibal. And then like, that's my guy. <laughs>
1: so clearly we could discuss this endlessly the last thing i do want to say is how much i love that title because i got through the entire thing and went the deadly hour what is it oh it's the hour he has with the shrink that is awesome which once again points you to that there's something within this boundary that, that his whole world exists in this hour that he has made it up
0: why do i do this podcast all I do is feel stupid. Was Not it? until this moment did I figure out why it was called the Deadly Hour. I was going to ask that. That was going to be my last thing. What's with the Deadly Oh, and then you it said. Was it was
2: originally the silent but deadly hour. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Way to work a fart joke in there. So, first, that's why I do this podcast. Yeah. First, eat people's butts. <laughs> well now so, and, and eric's the one saying he feels dumb but uh i think tim is lower in the <laughs> the bar here
0: i just got to put more effort into this podcast that's all this is i listen to him and go hey that was great guy uh killed a couple of people in a cave
1: stop being so hard on yourself like martin <laughs> because Eric this works on the surface level too that's why I think it is so impressive as a piece of writing because you can follow it as a weird slightly distorted old-time radio story about a vengeful husband I mean I think that surface reading works
0: but the idea then is now I have to go back and re-listen to every single old-time radio show I've ever listened to to figure out if it's got more depth than I thought So look out, you- Lone Ranger. You're good. <laughs> All 1,600 episodes. I'm going to pick you apart because I know everything's yep. a metaphor. I now know silver isn't real. You riding a horse is your way of dealing with your mom issues.
1: Speaking of horses, though, that was some of the worst horse foley i've ever heard that horse had six legs and was drunk (laughs) it was ridiculously bad some sound guy fell asleep on his coconuts (laughs) okay sounded like nothing
0: i've ever heard before fell asleep on my coconuts is also funny
1: (laughs) it's another softball team (laughs) let's vote
0: yes let's vote i'll start Because I have been all over the emotional map in the last 40 minutes here. Going into it, I was going to say, this is a classic. I love this story for its face value. Now with all this discussion and possibility and things I didn't bother to think about or didn't occur to me, because I got done and just said, all right, what's next? show I have to listen to. Moving on. (laughs) I will double down on the classic. I think this makes it even better. I will also say that I loved production value of it other than the horse, the drunk six legged (laughs) horse. I loved the performance of it. I loved the pace and the timing of it. And it flowed very nicely. It was a legitimately easy Forty-five minutes to listen to. Junior Achievement commercial was really well done. Some amazing performances. So I, I will stick with that, and I'm going to say this is a classic. I think this is a really great, great piece. Even better than I thought when we started.
2: I finally remember the the commercial that really hit a crazy note was the Ball and Chain. If you ah, listen- the old Ball and Chain.
0: If you listen to CBS RMT Special K was a frequent sponsor of the show. And that commercial, the old ball and chain commercial, appears in a lot of the old episodes. So I'm used to hearing that commercial.
2: Are you too heavy for tangoing? Like that. <laughs> but what? <laughs>
0: Who isn't? <laughs> really?
2: I'm going to call this a classic. It is not your typical sort of must-listen-to radio thing, but this script is. It has so many layers. It, it stands up to so much interpretation. It's so rewarding just to listen to as enjoyment. Uh, it might just be I sat down at the right time in the right place to I'm going to enjoy the heck out of this episode of CBS R&T, and I did. I called it a classic.
1: Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think I've mentioned this a couple episodes ago, but my definition of classic is can you listen to it again and get more out of it? Certainly you can. I think you could just keep mining the sucker for weird stuff. I mean, one of the things we didn't get into uh, that I loved about it too, is I felt there was a really strong integration uh, with the thematic story elements and E.G. Marshall's interstitial dialogue. And and sometimes it really just feels like he's just reading out of a thesaurus to fill time. (laughs) But here, there's just so many nice echoes from the beginning too, where he challenges you this is a strange tale can you believe it so he right away sets you up like you maybe should question this did it really happen who's telling this
0: story is that directed at me joshua (laughs) eric webster (laughs) (laughs) i was told by eg marshall to not take this at face value and i should pay attention
1: just listen to E.G. Marshall a little more, Eric. <laughs> no, Classic for sure.
0: All right. Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com.
2: That is the home of this podcast. We have a lot of other episodes there that you can listen to. It's a great way to get a hold of us. You can comment on episodes. You can send us a message. If you have episodes you'd like us to discuss, that's the great way to get the message to us. Uh, it also link to our social media pages where you can... Go there and chat with other members of our listening community.
1: Yes, you can also go to patreon.com slash morals and support this podcast. We've got a lot of great stuff for you to uh, listen to. If you become a member, we have the Cliffhangers of Doom podcast, a monthly podcast uh, looking at serials. And right now we are listening to, and it will be for a long time, the City of the Dead by Adventures by Morse. You can also go to iTunes and write a review because we really do appreciate that. Uh, Just write a one-sentence review, five stars. I am here. That would be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Creepy and inspiring.
0: And I'll take it at face value that you're actually here because (laughs) I'm an idiot. Also, you can see us performing original works of old time radio shows by going to parksquaretheater.org or ghoulishdelights.com. Park Square Theater and Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society have partnered here in the summer of 2020. We are doing original works, recording them in studio, and then you buy a ticket and you join us on Zoom and we play those recordings edited, produced recordings back of these original shows to you. And then we have a Q&A afterwards. In this month of June of 2020, we have another show coming up in July, July 20th of 2020. And we are doing an episode of Candy Matson that is a lost episode that the script exists, but not the recording. So we're gonna bring that one out. And then we're doing an original written by Tim Uren, which is called Minnesota Hot Dish. No, the Minnesota kidding. goodbye. <laughs> 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 Which is a mystery thriller that Tim wrote. So please join us for that. All right, what's coming up next?
1: Next, we will continue with our listener lockdown, um, and we will be listening to an episode of suspense called The Black Door. Until then... Look
6: out! Come here oh, oh darling, darling
7: And You may tell yourself, this is not my beautiful world.